Welcome to Lord of the Rings Radio, the one podcast to rule them all. The home of Lord of the Rings Radio is LOTRradio.com. This is episode 3 of Lord of the Rings Radio, and it is July 2005. We've got a lot to talk about in this episode of Lord of the Rings Radio. I'm going to start off by discussing Tolkien's work and the kinds of meaning and uh, parallels we can draw from it uh, to our own lives. I'm going to also talk about Tolkien collectibles. For our character discussion, we will discuss Eowyn. Uh, For the review this month, I'm going to talk about Fellowship the Musical. And we will finish up with our first listener contribution, a poem reading by Abersock. Uh, it's a poem from Fellowship of the Ring that Gimli sings in the Mines of Moria. Before we get to the content, I've got a little bit of news for you. I've started another Tolkien-based project called Tolkien Fanworks. And what Tolkien Fanworks is, is a project to create a Tolkien fanfiction audio program. Uh, Basically, we're trying to take a piece of fan fiction that already exists and come up with a, a cast, a full cast, and uh, create an audio drama from it. Uh, you can visit Tolkien Fanworks at TolkienFanworks.com. If you want to contribute or give your input, you can do so there. Uh, we're looking for all the help we can get, so if you're interested in uh, voice acting or, or management or whatever, um, everyone's help is welcome. So that's TolkienFanworks.com. For our first feature today, I want to discuss Tolkien's work and the kinds of messages and meanings and morals that can be drawn from it. Now, Tolkien himself uh, stated that he disliked allegory. He claimed that Lord of the Rings and his other writings were not allegory. And I think the reason he gives for disliking allegory is, is a good one. You know, he saw allegory as the author kind of forcing his uh, point of view onto the reader. And um, I don't think Tolkien's writings, Lord of the Rings and the others, do that. But I think Tolkien's writings in, you know, any fiction or non-fiction, there there are a lot of messages in them that we can take and uh, a lot of those messages we can use in our own lives. I think it's quite clear in, in Tolkien's writing that he has a great love and respect for nature. Uh, from In all of his writings, he gives vivid descriptions of the environment, and it seems that trees hold a very dear place in Tolkien's heart. And you get that feeling not only from uh, the Ents and what goes on in Fangorn and, and Isengard, but also, you know, in basically every location that Tolkien takes his characters, he gives great description goes into great detail of the kinds of trees that are there. Uh, So it's quite clear that uh, trees are are very important to Tolkien. And the subplot of uh, the Ents and the battle against Saruman I think is a very interesting one to talk about and think about um, with parallels to our own time. Saruman, of course, is clearing the forest of Fanghorn to fuel his furnaces, and I think the Ents, uh, for a large part, allow it to happen. Um, they had grown sleepy, and they needed something or someone, like Merriam Pippin, to come and uh, to wake them up and make them realize that if they do not take action, that uh, their forest, their very lives, would be destroyed. Before I go any further, I guess I should talk about my personal politics a little. Uh, this 
podcast is not about politics, of course, but once in a while it's going to cross over and maybe you want a little bit of background of where I'm coming from. I do live in the U.S. and uh, I think most people in the U.S. would call me liberal or progressive perhaps. I'm not sure how that translates uh, to other countries around the world. Um, I guess I'm no friend of George W. Bush. I think he's done horrible things for this country and the world, so maybe that, better than anything, kind of gives you an idea of how I lean politically. And environmental issues are some of the issues that are most important to me, so um, I get a lot of meaning from Tolkien, and uh, I sense his love for nature, and I think I also sense a fear um, that it could easily be exploited and uh, damaged beyond repair. Besides the subplot of the Ents, we have, of course, what goes on in the Shire, why the Hobbits are gone, and I think that is uh, kind of a direct parallel of uh, the industrialization that was going on in, in Tolkien's time. I think the, you know, the ugly squat brick buildings that were being built, and of course the the new mill that. Uh, poured out smoke uh, all day long. I think that was some things that Tolkien experienced in his own life uh, and the industrialization that was going on all over the world uh, in the early 20th century. So I guess one positive we can get um, when you look at The Lord of the Rings from an environmental viewpoint is it can be undone. You know, it's not too late. Uh, the Hobbit's returned to the Shire and saved it, you know. The trees had been cut down, but they were replanted. The mill was torn down, and you know, all those bricks went to good use. And the Ents did wake up. Uh, the Ents woke up, and they had the strength to stop Saruman and stop the destruction of the forest. Um, so, I guess that's encouraging that, uh, you know, despite the destruction and pollution and, you know, unnecessary things that go on, and the uh, what we put our environment through, if we can just stop and realize that, you know, if we just make some key changes, uh, we can still, still save it. You know, I guess that's uh, an encouraging thought to get to get out of the story. So I think whether Tolkien intended it or no, an important message to get from the Lord of the Rings is that we need to wake up and realize and acknowledge what is going on in this world. Uh, we need to acknowledge the waste and the destruction uh, that is going on, and we need to do something about it. Whether we are in a position of power or, or not, um, we can do something. We can all do something, whether we are a small hobbit or a powerful ant. Um, we can all do something to protect our environment and to ensure that uh, future future generations can also enjoy it. Okay, I guess I'll stop there um, with the discussion of Tolkien and uh, his messages. Of course, there are many, many more, and we'll probably talk about some others in future episodes. Uh, if there's something you get from Tolkien's writing and you'd like it to be discussed, um, let me know. Um, I forgot to do it earlier, but I'll do it now. There are three ways to get a hold of me to send in your opinions or contributions or suggestions. You can 
go to our website, lotrradio.com, and uh, register for our forum, and you can discuss and submit things there. You can also uh, click on contact from the left menu and send me a message that way. And of course, you can always email me. My email address is aaronawolf at gmail.com. That's A-A-R-O-N-A-W-O-L-F-E at gmail.com. For our second feature today, I want to talk about something uh, a little lighter than the, than the first. I want to talk about Tolkien collectibles. Now, since the movies, of course, there's been no shortage of Tolkien merchandise that you can buy. Uh, pretty much anything you could dream of, you could get. But even before the movies, there was a fair amount of Tolkien-related merchandise. But I think when you talk about Tolkien collecting course, the first thing you need to talk about are the books. Of course, the first editions of any of Tolkien's books are the most valuable. Um, I'm looking at eBay right now. There's a, a 1937 edition, The Hobbit, uh, which is currently at $4,050 with eight bids. Uh, the Buy It Now price is $13,000, uh, so that's a fairly valuable one. Um, there's also the first edition, uh, American editions, uh, published in 37 and 38, I believe. Um, but some of the newer ones, too, are, are, are nice. Uh, there's a 60th anniversary uh, illustrated edition of The Hobbit, illustrated by Alan Lee. And uh, there's also a green leather-bound Hobbit that was uh, published, I believe, in 73 and reprinted... Um, sometime later. And of course the Lord of the Rings trilogy, uh, the originals are worth quite a bit, you know, in the thousands of dollars again. Uh, the original first UK edition, I believe it, red bound um, hardcovers, uh, 1954, go for you know, thousands of dollars when you see them on eBay. Um, but there's also newer versions of those that are valuable. Uh, there's a 50th anniversary edition box set with a letter from Peter Jackson in it uh, that was released in 2004. And uh, there's the green hardcover trilogy set. And uh, a few other hardcovers which, um, you know, go for less. So they're collectible for people who uh, don't have thousands of dollars to spend on books. Besides the books, there are, there are quite a few other pre-movie collectibles. Uh, there are some little uh, pewter figurines uh, issued by the Tudor Mint. Uh, there is also some figurines put out by the Mithril Company uh, in the UK in the 70s, which uh, you see once in a while. There were action figures uh, produced by Toy Vault uh, in the early 90s, I think. Uh, those are still around. You can find some of those once in a while. Uh, and they're they're fairly valuable. You can still buy them reasonably, but um, I think they're more valuable than the uh, movie action figures. Of course, once the movies were released, we had an explosion of uh, Lord of the Rings merchandise. Uh, pretty much anything you can think of, from uh, clothing and jewelry to toys and action figures and... Uh, bobbleheads, ornaments, um, swords, uh, actual 
swords, uh, replica swords, plastic swords, costumes, Halloween costumes, posters, pins, bookmarks, you know, whatever you could possibly want, you could find. And, you know, most of it is worthless. You, I mean, as far as collecting goes, it's never going to be very valuable. Um, but, you know, collecting movie merchandise, I think, is fun uh, for a lot of people. You know, it's kind of something you hate to see commercialized in the way that it is, but uh, it happens. And uh, my particular vice is action figures. Um, growing up as a kid, I didn't have a lot of toys. You know, it's not that we were bad off, it's just that uh, never seemed like I had what I wanted, and I didn't have any action figures, so... Lord of the Rings came along, uh, the movie, and the action figures came out, and I bought a couple, and I just kind of got suckered into collecting them. Um, so that's my vice, and my wife has learned to put up with it. She uh, was a little leery at first, and uh, she's still not really happy with it, but uh, she deals with it. Another thing that I bought a few of are the busts by Sideshow Weta. Uh, they're a little more expensive, of course, but they're they're pretty neat, and a lot of them are limited runs of you know five thousand or whatever. So they're a little more valuable, and perhaps someday maybe worth something. Uh, Sideshow Weta has a lot of cool Lord of the Rings stuff. Uh, they've got busts, and they've got these environments of Helm's Deep and Minas Tirith and uh, Shelob's Lair. Uh, a lot of neat stuff. There's also many, many websites out there uh, that are good resources for uh, those who might want to get into collecting something Tolkien-related. Uh, a good one that has just a good, solid list of different things that are produced, and a good list of pre-movie stuff, which is harder to find, uh, is collecttoken.com. That's all one word, collecttoken.com. Uh, that's one to check out. Um, a good action figure website is uh, the Green Dragon, which uh, the web address is thegd.com. That's T-H-E-G-D.com. Uh, a lot of good information about the action figures, uh, both the Toy Biz action figures and the, the Play Along action figures. Um, there's lots of them out there, uh, lots of websites. Um, another one is lordoftheringsguide.com. Uh, they've got a good forum with a lot of discussion and trading, which is nice so you don't have to you know, buy things on eBay, which uh, can be frustrating and expensive. Um, so, if you want to get into collecting Tolkien stuff, there's lots of stuff out there. It's a good time to do it now um, uh, as things start to wind down. Uh, the merchandising flurry from the movies is kind of drawing to a close, so if, if you want to start collecting this stuff, uh, it's a good time to start, because uh, it could be that it's going to get more expensive fairly soon. For our character discussion in this episode, we're going to talk about Eowyn. Uh, she's another favorite character of mine. Uh, might be that I'll say that for all of them, but I think she's very important to the overall story of Lord of the Rings, and she is very interesting in herself. A uh, little background on Eowyn. She is the daughter of Eomund and Theodwin, and her brother, of course, is Eomir. Uh, Theodwin is Theoden's sister, of course, and they are the children of Thangal 
and Morwen. And it's interesting that Morwen is actually a uh, uh, from Gondor. Uh, Thangol, in his youth, grew up in Gondor and uh, married Morwen. I think Tolkien gets a lot of unfair criticism regarding his treatment and involvement of women in The Lord of the Rings. I believe Tolkien wrote The Lord of the Rings as a history, and um, he wrote it the way that he thought it would have happened. And women, like it or not, you know, didn't play a large role in wars and quests such as a quest to destroy the ring. So, yeah, there weren't any women in the fellowship. And, you know, there's only a few uh, significant roles uh, that women are a part of in the story. And, you know, sure, maybe you'd like to see more, but I think Tolkien just wrote it the way he thought it would be. But if you look at Eowyn's role, you know, by itself, it's hard to say that there are many characters in the story that accomplish anything more significant than she does. And certainly uh, what Frodo and Sam do in destroying the ring is um, the most significant, but after that, you know, what comes next? Um, Gandalf facing the Balrog, maybe. Um, although Gandalf himself is destroyed, um, kind of. And I guess then you've got uh, Aragorn and leading his company on the paths of the dead. Uh, but I think it's hard to argue that either of those are more significant than the destruction of the Witch King. And of course, Eowyn would not have done it by herself. She had to have Mary's help. Uh, but I don't think that lessens what Eowyn accomplished. So I think if you look at it that way, um, you know, a woman in Lord of the Rings has one of the most, or accomplishes one of the most significant things that happens. I mean, um, what if Eowyn would not have written? with the Rohirrim, and would not have been on the field of Pelennor and faced the Witch King. You know, quite possibly, uh, of course, the Witch King would have uh, survived uh, for a while. Uh, perhaps he would have faced Gandalf on the field, and that would have been kind of interesting to see. Uh, but who knows what would have happened. Could have possibly turned the entire day against uh, Gondor and Rohan, and perhaps Mordor would have won that day. So I think um, you can't overlook the accomplishment that uh, Eowyn uh, does that day. It's also interesting to talk about Eowyn's state of mind at the time of the War of the Ring. Now, when we first meet her at Edoras, it seems that she is in a sort of depressed state, having to serve this man who she loves, but who she sees as faltering. And through the words of Grima, uh, which come from Sorm, and I think she is, uh, her depression is greatened. Uh, she longs to achieve things uh, that are great and worthy of renown, and uh, she longs to have you know, Rohan do great and honorable things, and she sees Theoden sliding into dishonor, and I think that is a great burden on her. And then, of course, we have Aragorn uh, entered into the equation. When uh, Aragorn and Eowyn meet, it seems that she falls in love on sight. And, of course, her love is not returned and cannot be returned 
course, because Aragorn's love is given to another. Um, it's kind of interesting to think, you know, if, if Arwen was not in the picture, what Aragorn may have done and what the outcome might have been. You know, say, Aragorn, you know, fell in love with Eowyn. Of course, I believe Aragorn loved Eowyn as he loved, you know, many people. Uh, but of course, you can only love one person uh, the way that Aragorn would have loved Arwen. Um, but what if Arwen wasn't there? Uh, you know, um, Eowyn, I think, would still have asked to ride with Aragorn, and I don't believe Aragorn, of course, would allow that. I think he would say, you wait for me here, I will come for you, or send for you when the war is over. And I wonder how that would have played with Eowyn. Would she have accepted that? Um, would she have accepted the love of Aragorn, and then... Uh, done what he said and stayed and not gone to war. I think what Eowyn needed was to go to war, and I don't believe that had her love for Aragorn been returned, uh, she would have done that, and perhaps she would not have found the healing that she did find um, from going to war. You know, I think that going and, and fighting in the battle and, and slaying her enemy um, was therapy for her, and even more so, of course, the therapy that she received in the Houses of Healing, and of course the love that she found there from Faramir, I think, was exactly what Eowyn needed, even more so than what she may have gotten from Aragorn had he loved her the way that she desired. So I think the story of Eowyn in Lord of the Rings is one of the most interesting and uh, maybe entertaining ones. Um, here's a woman who is almost as low as she can get. Um, she falls in love and seemingly has her heart broken. Uh, she rides to war and triumphs, defeats a great enemy, and uh, even so, afterwards, seems as though she does not have the desire to live, but then she's redeemed and finds this love that she did not expect in Faramir, and uh, you know, every, everyone lives happily ever after. Um, it's a great story, and I think uh, Faramir is a, a fitting uh, mate for Eowyn. I think um, they both balance each other well. So, um, so give Tolkien a break when you're talking about his uh, treatment of women in Lord of the Rings. I think... Uh, Eowyn is a, is a great story and uh, a great character. For our review this month, I'm going to talk about Fellowship the Musical. Now, I'm going to call it a review, but I haven't actually seen the production myself. Um, after my first podcast, I received an email from Matt Young, who is a cast member and co-creator of Fellowship the Musical, and he told me a little bit about it. And I checked out their website and uh, read some reviews. It sounds like uh, a great, fun uh, musical to go see. Now, I had originally wanted to do a you know live interview with with Matt and, and put it in the podcast, but time and technicalities prevented that from happening. So um, what I did, I emailed him a few questions, and he answered. So I'm just going to tell you a little bit about it, uh, give you some of his answers. And uh, later on the website, of course, I'll, I'll post uh, some more information if you want to find out more about it. 
What is Fellowship the Musical? Well, it's a musical parody uh, based on The Fellowship of the Ring. Uh, it's written and directed by Joel McCrary, uh, co-written by Kelly Holden. It played in L.A. this winter, I believe, uh, February and March. Uh, played at the Met. But they also have uh, some shows coming up very soon. Uh, today is July 9th. Uh, they have shows uh, in San Diego, July 14th through the 17th nightly at 8 p.m. Uh, they're in San Diego during Comic-Con. They have a booth at Comic-Con, so if you are going there, uh, their booth number is 5558. Uh, but the shows are at the Lyceum Theater, and again, July 14th through 17th, 8 p.m. You can purchase tickets by visiting the theater or calling 619-544-1000. Matt Young is a gentleman who contacted me uh, regarding the musical, and uh, his part in the musical is Aragorn, uh, who he describes as the badass rock star of Middle-earth. Uh, he says he played Aragorn as a combination between James Dean and Jack Black, which <laughs> I think would be something I'd like to see. The USC Daily Trojan described Matt Young's Aragorn as equal parts Eddie Vedder, Imperious Teen, and Jeff Bridges as the dude. So uh, I'm quite intrigued at, at Aragorn's character, and I'd really like to see this thing. Um, but from all the reviews I read, I hear that uh, the music is, is the selling point here. There are 14 songs I hear in the musical, a wide variety. Uh, you've got uh, drinking songs, cabaret numbers. Uh, Aragorn and, and Arwen have a power ballad uh, 80s kind of duet with a guitar solo from, from Aragorn. And uh, hear that even uh, the dancing Balrog uh, has a song in the musical. It's also interesting to note that there are only nine cast members, which is a fitting number for the Fellowship, playing over 30 roles. So... Uh, these guys, these performers, are, are earning their paychecks. So if you're in the San Diego neighborhood uh, this coming week, I would encourage you to check it out. I, I wish I could. Uh, logistics and uh, money, of course, are preventing me from, from doing it now. But uh, I hear from Matt Young that they are hoping to do another run in the near future. And, of course, uh, Lord of the Rings is a trilogy, so maybe someday we will see Towers and... Uh, King the musical. I certainly hope so. Um, once again, uh, it's playing in San Diego at the Lyceum Theater this coming week, uh, July 14th to the 17th. Uh, plays at 8 p.m. You can get tickets by visiting the theater or calling 619-544-1000. Also, uh, they have a website. It is fellowshipthemusical.com. Uh, they have another MySpace website, uh, and I will put a link up to that on my website, lotrradio.com, so if you want to visit that, you can. And also, uh, there's a press release and um, uh, the complete uh, Matt's complete answers to my questions I'll put up in our forum, uh, so if you want to check that out, you can. For our poetry reading this episode, we've got a special treat for you. We have our first listener contribution. This was sent in by Abershock. It is a poem from Fellowship of the Ring, uh, from Gimli in the Minds of Moria, a song he sings of Durin. Uh, Abershock does a really great job here. He puts my poetry reading to shame. Uh, so here it is. Enjoy.
The world was young, the mountains green, no stain yet on the moon was seen, no words were laid on stream or stone, when Durin woke and walked alone. He named the nameless hills and dells, he drank from yet untasted wells, he stooped and looked in Miramir, and saw a crown of stars appear as gems upon a silver thread above the shadow of his head. The world was fair, the mountains tall in elder days before the fall of mighty kings in Nargothrond and Gondolin who now beyond the western seas have passed away. The world was fair in Durin's day. A king he was, on carven throne, in many-pillared halls of stone, with golden roof and silver floor, and runes of power upon the door, the light of sun and star and moon, in shining lamps of crystal hewn, undimmed by cloud or shade of night, there shone for ever fair and bright. Their hammer on the anvil smote, Their chisel clove and graver wrote, Their forged was blade and bound was hilt, The delver mind, the mason built, Their beryl, pearl and opal pale, And metal wrought like fish's mail, Buckler and corset, axe and sword, And shining spears were laid in hoard. Unwearied then were Durin's folk, Beneath the mountains music woke, The harpers harped, the minstrels sang, And at the gates the trumpets rang. The world is grey, the mountains old, The forge's fire is ashen cold. No harp is rung, no hammer falls, The darkness dwells in Durin's halls, the shadow lies upon his tomb in Moria, in Khazadum. But still the sunken stars appear in dark and windless Miromir. There lies his crown in water deep till Durin wakes again from sleep. Alright, that's it for episode 3 of Lord of the Rings Radio. Before I finish up here, a few notes on episode 4. One of the main features for episode 4 is going to be the movies and specifically what you dislike about them. So, I would like some listener feedback and contribution for that. If you have any specifics that you dislike about the movies that you want me to discuss, please go to our website, lotrradio.com. You can put that in the forum, you can send it in the contact form, or you can email me at aaronawolf at gmail.com. That's A-A-R-O-N-A-W-O-L-F-E at gmail.com. Also, I'm going to have a poll up on the website uh, with some uh, common dislikes from the movies, and you can vote on what you dislike the most. Uh, so please check that out, uh, and uh, you can look forward to episode four, uh, first week of August. It should be ready. Uh, thank you for listening.